The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, reaching out with rock-solid hope in rim country. July 18th, Titus 1, 5-9 I can still vividly picture the classroom as I started off at Martin Luther College, where I was enrolled nearly 20 years ago. I can still see the whiteboard, the instructor, and all my classmates around me. Martin Luther College is the worker training college of our church body. Recall how last week we talked about the importance of establishing worker training for Christian churches. But what stood out that made this day so vivid in my mind that I still remember it so clearly is what the instructor said. This was a class for those who were studying to be pastors and teachers, and it was one of the required courses. And that day he said something on the lines of, Look around you. About one-fourth of you won't be in the ministry someday. Now, that in itself is somewhat surprising. Really, though, if you look at the statistics of Christian churches and denominations nationwide, recent surveys indicate the number is much greater. That 50% of those who start as pastors will no longer be pastors within five years. And only one in 10 will continue until retirement, serving in some form of ministry when they retire. But still, the thing that stuck in my mind wasn't the fact that there would be some who were no longer serving in the public ministry as pastors or teachers. What stood out was the reason why. He said that the reason would be three things. It would be money, sex, or false teaching. That is, somebody would do something which would be so damaging and so immoral that it would ruin their ministry and disqualify them from serving so they could no longer be a pastor or a teacher in God's church. That's pretty striking. And don't get me wrong, there, there certainly are people who no longer serve in the ministry who once did, and it's not because of some particular sin they've committed. I have a couple of seminary classmates who are no longer serving. And it's not because they committed some terrible sin. It's because of some family need that they had or because they wanted to serve God's church in some other faithful manner. Thankfully, those who graduated with me from seminary, out of all of them, they're still faithfully serving the Lord and haven't disqualified themselves. Although there are peers of mine who have. And there are older pastors who still, even I've heard of some recently, who have committed some scandalous sin because of that, even though they should know better, are no longer serving as pastor. And also some younger pastors who slip into some scandal and harm their people they're serving and no longer can serve. You know, just the very fact that this happens is striking. Once again, there are pastors who are no longer serving because of some valid reason. But the fact that there are some who commit some terrible sin, whose reputation becomes ruined and they ruin the congregations they serve, that should be troubling. That should cause concern for every college Christian college professor. That should be a great concern and on the heart of every seminary instructor. And you can be sure that there are Christian churches that still are recovering from the pains of an unfaithful minister 
who has done something harmful to their church because of his life or his teaching. And maybe some of you have faced the, the hurts or the pains that come from a minister who's disqualified himself. That's why we see what we read in Titus chapter 1. As the Apostle Paul gives a list of qualifications for those who serve in the ministry. See, Paul had been with Titus and his missionary companions on the island of Crete, but he had to leave before he could complete his work. He had not yet established those who would be spiritual overseers in the various churches in the cities of Crete. And so Paul writes to Timothy, The reason I left you in Crete so that you would set in order the things that were left unfinished and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. That is, Paul's giving instructions regarding those who will serve as spiritual overseers, pastors, teachers, elders. Now, when Paul gives this list, it's not just a, a list given by some man to a bunch of Christians on an island in the ancient church. This is a list that matches the qualifications found throughout Scripture. And this is not just advice from the Apostle Paul for some people a long time ago. These are words that the Apostle gives as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit for Christians of all time. This is God's word for us today regarding those who serve as ministers of the gospel. And as we look at this, I'm going to break it down really into seven different sections, two sections of seven. Seven things which Paul lists that are failures that a pastor should be free from and also seven consistent characteristics that should be evident in the life of a minister. And don't misunderstand, keeping this list, these qualifications, does not make someone a minister or give them the right to serve God's church. You do not serve as a minister of the gospel or any position in God's church because of your own merit in life. Paul, of all people, knew that. That those who serve in God's church serve as a gift of God and by his grace because he has called them to serve, not by any other reason. So as we look at this list of seven failures and seven character traits that are necessary, keep that in mind. Paul says, such a man is to be blameless. That is, the person that is getting into brawls and fights at the bar and has lost his driver's license because of a DWI probably should not be a spiritual leader in the church. If he's failed to keep his own life in order and not live as an example, he should not be one who has uh, open charge and accusation against him. This is what we're going to see is consistent throughout this, this list of qualifications. Paul is concerned about the character of those who serve God's church. The world's not like this so much, is it? The, the world doesn't care as much about character as it does about performance and results. For example, someone could serve in this world as a lawyer and they may not get along well with their neighbors and have the best nightlife, but as long as they win the case and have a good record, they can still be a good lawyer. Or, <clears throat> for example, someone in this world could find themselves being arrogant and haughty and they could be someone who's not honest but if they get business done, the business world loves them. Even in the political sphere, those who have a bad reputation and a bad personal life can still get by if they have a solid base and a good platform and support. But not so 
with the personal life and character of those who serve in God's church. Character counts. The second item he mentions after not open to blame, that is, someone who has no major fault, is husband of but one wife and have believing children who are not open to charge of wild living. That is, he should have a good family life. He should spend time and have concern for the well-being of his spouse who he's faithful to and he should discipline his children, not in anger but in love. Paul goes on. The third qualification, not open to a charge of wild living. or I'm sorry. Indeed, an overseer, since he's God's steward, must be blameless, not arrogant. Arrogance is something I think all of us struggle with, especially when others might look up to us. Watch out for those who serve in God's church and have any level of arrogance. Such people might thrive in the secular world, as I mentioned, but not so in God's church. Quite often, actually, the the pastor who has disqualified himself because of his arrogance will scrutinize everyone around him and yet come up with loopholes that he has never scrutinized. Watch out for those who are arrogant, not quick-tempered. Closely related to arrogance is that next failure or fault, the one who is quick to anger, the one who is also a drunkard is disqualified. How can someone who is mastered by Miller Lite serve his master, the Lord? Not violent, very closely related to drunkenness. How can someone who is intent on hurting others heal in God's church? Not eager for dishonest gain. A faithful minister should be content with the support he receives and not dishonest or working towards personal and selfish reasons. If he's not content with what he receives, he'll never be content with any of God's blessings. Then Paul shifts his message here to the positive. He lists now the seven character traits that a person must possess as a faithful minister. He must be hospitable. That is, he welcomes people of every age, every culture, every socioeconomic status. He makes time for them and he welcomes them, loving what is good, that he's, he loves what God has established. He loves his home, his church, his family. He loves the word of God. Self-controlled. The man who knows how to say no and when to say no to pleasures, to drink or drugs. Upright, devout, and disciplined. Close off that last six. That is, the, the man who serves God's word must have a holy life where he is dedicated to the word of God and he knows how to work hard and dig into scriptures. If you look at this list of all these qualifications, I'm sure you've noticed what what seems to be missing from so many other lists of qualifications. God doesn't concern himself primarily with the intelligence or the appearance or the pedigree or anything else other than the character of those who serve in his church. A Christian congregation can be tempted to have a a pastor with a powerful persona or it can be tempted to find someone who gets results regardless of their arrogance. But God looks at an entirely different means of qualifications for those who serve him and serve his flock. 
Would Christ ever have made the list? Someone who comes from a poor background and lived a homeless life? Would John the Baptist ever made the cut as he wore camel's hair and had locust breath? What about those fishermen who Jesus sent out as missionaries? God uses not the wise of this world or the intelligent of this world. He uses the things that are not to shame the things that are. And God takes the things that this world regards as foolish, such as your pastor, and uses them to share the wisdom of his word. This list of qualifications concludes what is perhaps one of the most important. All the other character traits and failures, if, if one can keep those, they don't matter if they fail at this last, the, the, seventh, the seventh character trait. He must cling to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. God's word must be above all. So often a minister will, will sink into different sins and maybe even in their arrogance they'll be harming others but they'll say, I'm too important. I can't get caught in my sin. So they don't quit or confess but they continue in their ministry harming others and misleading the flock. But no one is more important than the word of God. A faithful minister clings to the trustworthy message. And no, that, that doesn't mean that he's always quoting his seminary professor or saying, Dr. Martin Luther once said, but the trustworthy message is the message of the faithful minister. The faithful minister knows the one who came and was chosen by God to be over his church, the Christ. This man was all of this in a perfect way the perfect man who came to be our faithful minister, was one who was blameless. No one could take any charge against him and whatever he did. And though he wasn't married, he was faithful and spoke of marriage and honored it and honored his parents. And he was not arrogant, but the most humble man that ever walked this earth. He was not quick-tempered, but gentle with those around him. Although he was accused of being a drunkard, wrongly accused, he was always sober, not violent, but once again, healing. Not eager for dishonest gain, but gave up everything. And yes, this man Jesus was welcoming. He loved only what was good. He was self-controlled, upright, devout, disciplined in all he did. This perfect, faithful minister Jesus was so because he is the Son of God. He came to be that faithful minister that we all needed. And if you look at this list that qualifies a faithful minister, don't misunderstand. This is not just God's list for ministers. It's his list for you. It's the standard which he puts forward for all of God's people. And those who serve as ministers must meet this list because they lead by example. And ministers everywhere and God's people must look at this list and say, Lord, forgive me for my failures but a faithful minister who holds to that trustworthy message knows that perfect man. That perfect man who with his perfect life looked at all the unfaithfulness around him and said, Father, regarding us sinners, forgive them. And so a faithful minister can say, he does forgive. He forgives me and Jesus forgives you. 
And he serves as a faithful minister, not because he has qualified himself, but because of that trustworthy message of the one he shares and the message of the forgiveness of sins. The perfect minister who gave his life for them and who rose to life sharing his free and full forgiveness. There are those who statistically will turn aside. And I used to think back on that day when I would look at my classmates in that that classroom and wonder to myself, I wonder how many will still be in the ministry someday. And I pray that we beat the statistics. But what really matters is will they be knowing the faithful minister? Will they know his forgiveness? Will they know, despite their failures and faults, that he still is faithful and just and their Savior God? That they still hold to that trustworthy message? Yes, there are qualifications. And who will hold responsible those who disqualify themselves? God does. He does in his word. And his flock is to hold ministers responsible and accountable to that word. But God does this all for a reason. Paul concludes by saying, he must cling to the trustworthy message so that he will be able to both encourage people by the sound teaching and correct those who oppose him. Many unfaithful ministers have caused great discouragement, pain, and harm. And they've been unable to refute those who oppose them as they themselves have fallen into sin. But God desires that those who serve be qualified so that they can offer comfort and encouragement to the flock and so that they can stand in the face of those who oppose. It seems pretty clear why Paul wanted this for Crete and for Christians everywhere. As you read on, there were unfaithful ministers already established in many of the churches in Crete which had to be dealt with. So Paul says, encourage those who hold to the faithful teaching and correct those who oppose the truth, that the message of salvation is found only in Christ and in our faithful Lord. What we see is God gives us the gift and we can pray that he gives us those who serve and serve faithfully in his church and that those who serve faithfully will do so as they meet these qualifications, not, not to earn that position, but to lead and to build and to comfort God's church as they point to the one who is faithful, Jesus, who meets every qualifications over his church now and forever, our faithful minister. Amen.